Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. There is a ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon. Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. pour les Canadiens. Le 23e de l'histoire. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. It's going to be sick. Marinaro, the sick podcast on this Wednesday, April 19. It is two minutes past 10 o'clock. How is everyone doing tonight? The sick podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, of course. If you're in transportation sales, customer service, operations, HR, or admin, well, the good news is Energy Transportation Group is hiring for all positions. Great place to work. I know this for a fact because I walked in there a couple of times and I see a lot of uh, smiles on people's faces. Uh, it's also brought to you in part by La Bitta TB, Embrace Your True Nature, brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bitta TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. We bring in tonight to talk hockey with us, Mid Jaguer, who is the uh, assistant coach with the uh, Canada women's hockey team. And uh, vacation for you or what? Uh, yes and no. I mean, vacation because our season and everything is over. Uh, but on my end, I'll say uh, I'm working quite a lot, uh, working with uh, some pro teams in Europe, like I should say, like a team consultant. Uh, so helping some teams to get through the playoffs. And uh, the summer, I'll say I'll, I'm going to do here and there some practices with players, but not that much. I'd rather take off uh, the whole summer and be with the kids and my wife. Or, oh, the whole summer, huh? Yeah, I could get used to that. As yeah, a matter of, yeah. I, I think we're gonna go until um, we're gonna go until uh, at least the draft, full time, five days a week here on the Sick Podcast, and then July and August, it's still kind of up in the air. We're gonna we're not gonna stop. We're just contemplating whether or not you know we how many times per week we go and stuff like that. So um, that's nice. Yeah. So you know. We'll, oh, uh, Carolina we'll just scored. Yeah, I got that update that Carolina scored. Yes, yes, they did. All right. Uh, there's plenty of things I want to talk to you about. Uh, I know a lot of people have an eye on what's going on. Carolina, you mentioned it before. They did score the winner in overtime versus the New York Islanders. They win this one by a score of 4-3 to three in OT. 4-3. to three. So big, big win for Carolina. They take a 2 nothing series lead. Five minutes and three seconds into overtime. It was Jesper Fasp who, who scores to give Carolina a 4-3 a win. As for the Boston Bruins, they are down by a score of 5-2 to two to the Florida Panthers. Down by a score of 5-2 to two to the Panthers. Yikes. Yikes. This is a biggie for Florida. Uh, it looks like they're going to tie this series uh, at one, heading back to Florida for game three. And Dallas... 12 minutes into period number one has jumped out to a 2-0 lead over the Minnesota Wild. And, of course, the Los Angeles Kings and Edmonton Orders will play uh, game two of their series in Edmonton. And that one is uh, just about to start any second now. All right. Um, I want to start with the Canadians because it's mostly a Canadians podcast, but we're going to switch and we're going to go to a lot of things that are happening in the NHL playoffs. All right? Yeah. Uh, yesterday I spoke about with uh, Eric Engels of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca that um, Normoff Flynn wasn't very happy 
with uh, the Canadians um, year ending presser and, and scrum and stuff like that. And he said that he heard a lot of excuses and he said that, you know, at the 50 game mark, Marty St. Louis was still, we're still talking about his defensive system and the fact that the defensive system wasn't quite up to uh, the level that it should be. And Norma said, doesn't take that long to implement the defensive system. Uh, if you don't have it by game 50, we got a problem. And, uh, you know, Eric and I both gave our opinion on it. And, and, you know, Eric didn't quite understand the comment. And my comment to that was, I think Marty St. Louis puts a lot more emphasis on concepts over systems. And I think he's trying to teach them all the offensive concepts now. And as soon as everyone gets the offensive concepts, then they're going to maybe try to put together a defensive system when they're up in a game, but I think he wants to play offense, but they'll introduce defense at some point. For me, it's normal. For you, who has a lot more experience in coaching, is this normal? What can you tell me about concepts versus systems? Well, let's just start with uh, with the defensive side. I mean, I agree that if game 50, you still working out on figuring out how you should play and all that stuff, I think it's not normal because – uh, defensive zone or playing without the pocket, it's mostly a matter of willingness. But we have to understand on the on the flip side, look at the look at the team. Okay, how many forwards can play both ways? There's not a lot. How many players cannot? Uh, how many forwards cannot play without the puck? There's a lot on the on the back end. There are all rookies. Okay, so they're they're lacking experience so they need more than 50 games experience that that's let's start right there so no matter mm-hmm. who's going to be the head coach there half more than half the d squad didn't had what 25 games in the nhl before it's it's a huge step so and obviously goaltending uh goaltenders was always an issue uh but you know when when marty came on board um one of his first meetings or with with the media and everything was talking about concept and concept and all the players and coaches around the world was like or i should say especially here in in quebec they were like okay he's trying to create something new with concept because we 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 don't really heard about concepts here in, in 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 on the french side i'll say because we're talking about strategy and way to play and options but the biggest thing between, let's say, strategy and concepts, they're mostly, how I should say it, they're mostly the same, but is how you can play within the system or the strategy. So let's say, let, let's take an example here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do your pre-scout and uh, their forecheck is, whatever it is, it's 2-1-2. So you know that you can do a soft rim or a hard rim, so your winger can just pick it up off the wall and, and take off. Basically the same thing as, what the Winnipeg Jets did last night against the the, the the Golden Knights. Yeah. But that's not always going to happen the way you want. So are you just going to teach, okay, you have to do a hard rim every single time without even reading, without even talking, without doing anything? No. But a lot of coaches, this is what they're doing. Okay, we want a four-check, so let's just do that 2 one 2 four check Nothing else. No reading, no communication, no concept, nothing. Let's go back with the breakout. Okay, so D1 is going to retrieve the puck. What are you going to ask for your D2? To be above, to be below, to be on the weak side, to be on the strong side? What are you going to ask to your weak side forward? To slash, to come up strong side? Um, so it's kind of just building the base of mm-hmm. how you should play without even any kind of system or strategy. And from there, you're going to have a better reading. You're going to have a, a higher IQ. and. Yeah. Yeah, your overall game. And this is part of me. This is what Marty St. Louis Mitch is trying to develop right now. He's trying to develop basically patterns, rhythms, so that the players are able to read games better, read situations better. Um, It's 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 a development phase, is what it is. Yeah, and 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 let me give you two two example here. Uh, Everyone, you. People probably didn't notice that, but I, I wrote down an article on the coaches' side about it. It was Team Canada at the World Junior yeah. uh, at, at the Christmas at Christmas, and they're they're playing a D zone, a typical D zone, like man on man when the puck is high, a hybrid when the puck is 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 low, and and that's fine. 
But here's what happened on, on one shift, and I have highlighted that shift. Uh, Connor Bedar is out, he's on the ice for probably a minute, minute 30. He's, he's out of gas, he's, he's dead, but he has to come back and he, they're getting stuck in the defensive zone. So he's the last guy, then had a ch- the chance to change. And we have Zach Dean, who's playing for Gatineau, uh, who's just fresh legs coming off the ice and he's playing center with his own team. And Bedar should be in the corner helping D1 because they're working on F1 coming back through uh, support the, the, the puck, F2 through the middle, F3 sealing the wall. Bedar, there's no chance he can go there. And if he's working down low, he's going to be dead. They're going to get scored. Zach Dean, what he did, talking to Bedar, saying, stay high. I'm covering low. I'm taking the F1 job. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a concept. Who's the fresh legs? So they're talking stuff like that it's the same thing let's say this year with uh, the university of montreal we we have introduced uh, rushes okay so usually you will have rushes okay it's a three on two let's say we want a flat pass and we want f2 middle lane drive but for us we we let them choose what they're wanted or we call it twig take what it's given so you have to read who's in front of you and you have to read where is your player? So let's say a three on two. We said first thing first, read where's your if we have F4 on the rush or not. After that, is timing is the key. Why? Because we really want to create a three on two and not like a two on two and waiting for somebody. Timing is the key. And after that, was like just making sure we're working two on one with our F1. So usually it's with D1. Uh, let's say if it was a two on two. We were asking F1, making sure we attack across, nose-to-nose, attacking D2. But from there, they're reading, they're making plays, and everything comes down to making sure they're making plays and they're trying to. We're not saying, okay, it's a two-on-two, we have to weak side, crash the net, outskate the DA all the time. No, we're just giving small concepts that they still have to respect. But within that system, the strategy, they're free to go. They have reading to make, they have communication, but at the end of the day, we ask them to make plays. And it's the same thing on the defensive side or without the puck. We They are asking to play away, but obviously it's all about reading, reacting, and making sure everyone understands that when whoever got the puck, we need support. We need somebody to give a quick outlet and stuff like that. So, so that's the biggest difference that you can just basically adjust uh, your system, your your strategy throughout the whole game between periods or in game. That's the biggest thing for me. I think that um, a lot of people are having a hard time understanding what Marty St. Louis is trying to preach and what he tried to do with the team this year. Mitch, I'm not afraid to say it. I'm going to come out and say it. I think Marty St. Louis is ahead of his game. I think he's a modern mind. I think he's doing things right now and concentrating on stuff and focusing on stuff that other people, they're just, their mind isn't there just yet. Their mind have, isn't there just yet. I have to agree with you. And my biggest fear is that he will, he might be get fired before we can see other coaches doing the same kind of stuff. Huh. So listen because- to this. I think that Marty St. Louis is going to be here as pretty much as long as he wants to be. Yeah, I think too. That's that's I'll say for him that's what is good for him because he doesn't have any pressure. Uh he doesn't have any, he doesn't need any money. He doesn't need any fame. He's there because he wanted to be there. He's there because he's loving it. And the day that is that's too much for him, he's just going to go back home and play golf or whatever. So, have to agree I think he's going to be there as long as he want unless they're going for 10 years in a row losing and not making the playoffs, but I don't see it happening. How many coaches did you come across when talking about concepts, when talking about systems that defensively had set up, of course, a system or systems, but offensively, gave the players an incredible amount of latitude so that they can express themselves and that they could be creative. Is that do 
you know, do a lot of coaches do that? Do they do that with certain players only? Do they do that with their top line? Enlighten me on that. Uh, I was surprised, I'll say, in the last probably six or eight years when I started to talk with pro coaches and players more and more. Uh, a lot of coaches will will tell their, the team, without the puck or in the defensive zone, you're playing my way and there's no other way and this is it. There's there's nothing else. In the neutral zone, it's all about playing fast transitioning. And a lot of coaches are going to say in the offensive zone, it is up to you guys. You are the players. You're making the money. We're paying you big money for that. Just make sure we're having chances. They don't have much concept, but it's all about defensive zone. That's more often they're talking about it and they want to introduce the defensive zone and making sure everyone is on the same page. Um, I'll say what I found out a lot is they do not want to introduce a lot of offensive zone because players at the pro level talk a lot between them. They're talking every single time they're coming back on the bench with, within their line in practice, watching video together. Uh, you know, so they they can create a lot. Uh, and, and again, down the road, defensive zone, the biggest thing, it's all about willingness. Uh, let's let's just talk about Toronto last night. Mm -hmm. Tampa. That was the biggest thing, willingness versus competing. Uh, but yeah, just to go back with the coaches, uh, more and more we're gonna we we've have heard like coaches talking about concept uh, emphasis is the the offensive zone because it, it's just a matter of small details now. And I'm not saying they're not talking about the offensive zone. No, they're always always talking about it. But a lot of coaches, the emphasis is is more without the puck. I mean, like on, on the defensive side, because. The philosophy, it's still like defense wins championship. Mm -hmm. So it, it's depend on which side you are. On my end, I always say like you always need one more goal to win a game because even if you do not allow the single goal, the game's going to be tied. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, and, and again, players, obviously when you have high-end players, let's say Sid the Kid. Like I remember when uh, – um, Who's the, who's the uh, what's his name? The head coach in, in Pittsburgh, uh, Sullivan. Sullivan, like yeah. his first practice when he took over, mm -hmm. um, they like it's always a free puck when you start to practice. So Crosby, as soon as he stepped up on the ice, he went side by side with Sullivan, and for probably eight or ten laps, they were just talking about they were just talking, or it was I should say Crosby was just talking to Sullivan, and he was pointing on the ice. Uh, pointing players and talking. So obviously, some players you have to deal with mistakes. Oh, and Menton just scored three minutes in. Uh, uh, good. Okay. Thank yeah. you for the so, update. <laughs> welcome. So your good players, obviously, you're not going to treat them the same way as your fourth line players. Uh, a Connor McDavid or uh, Leon Dreisaitl, you will not ask them the same thing as a shutdown forward. So obviously. Uh, you're going to try to create some patterns with them, some concept that they can uh, do within their line or within the game that when they're on the ice, they can, you know, they can do it. It's the same thing with, uh, with McDavid, you know, that he's going to outskate everybody. So you still have to adjust your team as he's too fast for the league. So obviously he's too fast for the team. So how are you going to work with him? So it's just kind of creating concepts uh like i remember um team usa when caulfield was there uh zegra and all those guys uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, they were let's say on the rushes every line had their own concepts on the rushes because they were using their strength so obviously caulfield was coming off wing and was shooting obviously but another one i can't uh, beaner i think his name he was coming off wing and was cutting and he was just dropping the puck in front every single time so f2 and f3 knew every single time that he's trying to take outside and he's below the dot if he's if he's keep going on the, he's just gonna pop the puck in front so they knew about it so it's the same thing with high-end players you, you have to deal with them and make some partnership differently than your third and fourth line but at the end of the day you still need your whole team 
working and getting together to make to, to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, you talked about the uh, the Edmonton Orders uh, who scored uh, less than four minutes into the game. Uh, one quick look at uh, the first couple of minutes of the game. The matchup so far uh, is Dano on Connor McDavid and <laughs> um, and uh, Kopitar on Leon Draisaitl. So. Uh, that's, that's the way it's being. Shot. That's the that's the way it's been. Philip Deneau has had a lot of success versus Connor McDavid. Uh, you know, every time he's gone up against them. And by the way, the goal was Derek Ryan who scored his first, with Drysaitel getting an assist. So Drysaitel's been on the board two games in here, and uh, Connor McDavid has not been on the board yet. So a lot of pressure on him to explode. A lot of pressure on Austin Matthews to the Leafs loss yesterday, and they lost big. What do you make of, you know, Austin Matthews probably being the most criticized? I know that uh, my buddies LaPierre and Latondres went after him pretty good today. Really? Um, yeah, basically saying, you know what, at some point this guy's going to have to put up in the playoffs, and uh, right now he's just a regular season player. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are not happy with Austin Matthews. Even in Toronto, this guy's starting to be doubted, and, you know what? He doesn't look overly happy uh, all season long. He didn't look overly happy. You know, do you think he wants out at some point? Well, there's a lot of rumors talking about that, that it might be... Uh, is that GC who's t- who was talking about it this morning with Bob Hartley? Saying yeah. that he's probably going to be traded before the draft or something like that. Like, I will not be surprised. I think he's not happy since they... They've signed John Tavares, to be honest with you, uh, because I think Matthews, and don't get me wrong, he's an amazing player, but he was the franchise player, and now you have Johnny, who, can, who still cannot win anything in playoff. Uh, international events, he's good, but but yeah, he, he didn't seem happy this year at all. He's not happy in the playoffs. This is an interesting opinion, by the way. I want you to continue on this. Uh, and And... And just get back a couple of years ago uh, with the COVID, uh, they were like, it was what, a week or two before the playoffs? He was saying like, oh, yeah, it's about time we're we're heading to the playoffs because it's easy to play against the North uh, Division and or was saying something like that. And what happened next? He didn't show up in the playoff again and they got um, they get out against uh, the Montreal Canadian. Um, so obviously he has to step up. That's the biggest thing. He doesn't even, he, I think he's like 0.61 or 0.71 points per game in playoffs. Uh, that It's not bad, but that, not for him. Uh, it, but it's just the way he's playing. He, he's, he's not happy. He's playing a, a frustrated game. He's mm-hmm. not involved. He's staying outside. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he didn't take a step. So Lapierre and, 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 and Latendres, you said, He's, a, he's still a, a seasoned player, and that's why yeah. they do not have any success. And obviously, I was talking with my friends before the playoffs, and we were yeah. we were talking about Toronto. Everything depends on Nylander. If he's showing up, they might have a chance. If not, they're screwed. But you have to think that they have Matthews, Tavares, and Marner ahead of him, and we're talking about the fourth best player. That's not normal. Well, it all depends on how you look at it because the way I look at it is there's a lot that depends on Ryan O'Reilly. If Ryan O'Reilly can shut yeah. down Tampa Bay's best players, uh, there's a lot that depends on Ilya Samsonov because if Samsonov outgoals Vasilevsky. So I'm not so sure that my answer would be the same one that you gave regarding Nylander. I'm not so sure about that. But, you know, I had an interesting conversation that I'll I, – I, there's no problem, I think, to make it public. Um. Tonight I went to TV Espoir the way I usually do, Monday to Thursday. I'm on at around 5.30 p.m. with Jean-Charles Lajoie. We're on for about 15 minutes' time. And as I, um, I'm making my way to the studio, I'm walking down the hallway, and there's a couple of changing rooms, and uh, one of them is uh, designated for Michel Bergeron. And uh, I was walking, and the door was open. Michel was sitting down. I hadn't seen him. And uh, he basically said, woo. <laughs> ah, so I saw oh, somebody's in that room. So I, 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 I took a couple of steps back. Hey, Michel, come on, ça va? And we started talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I love talking hockey with Michel Bergeron because I see things through the eyes of 
a fan. He sees things through the eyes of a coach. So we talked about Matthews. And he said to me, he said, Matthews is getting too much heat. I said, you think so? He said, yeah. He said, this one is on Sheldon Keefe. And I said, okay, why? Well, he goes, Sheldon Keefe did something in the game that I don't approve of. I said, what's that? He says, Cooper shows his cards right away. Boom, starts the game, his number one line. So I said, okay. He says, Sheldon Keefe counters with Ryan O'Reilly. And I said, all right, but I mean, I mean, O'Reilly's line, I mean, that's that's a pretty good line, right? I mean, I, I enlighten me. I said, I don't see the problem because Ryan O'Reilly centers a line with um, with John Tavares on his left and on his right, uh, William Nylander. Um, so I said, um, you know, or he centers a line with Noel Archari and Matthew Nyes. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he sometimes he's, he centers the second line. Sometimes he centers the third. So um, he says, um, he says, your best player. He goes, and Matthews is Toronto's best player. Yeah. Your best player always wants to go up against the other team's best player. Yep. He says, when I had Peter Stashney, he wanted to go up against Wayne Gretzky. When I had Peter Stashney, he wanted to go up against Mario Lemieux. If I would counter with Dale Hunter against those guys at the opening faceoff, he says, Peter would be ticked off. He says, it's a respect thing. He says, because now what happens is, if Matthews is not going up against Tampa Bay's number one line, he's not going up against Braden Point, he's not going up against Kucherov, in his head, he's thinking, ah, oh, the coach thinks if we go head-to-head that they're going to have the better of me. The coach doesn't think I'm as good as these guys. The coach doesn't think I can play with these guys. And, and you know, I, I don't think Sheldon Keefe is thinking that. I think that what Sheldon Keefe is trying to do is he's saying, if I can get Ryan O'Reilly, and I have last change at home, if I can get Ryan O'Reilly on Tampa Bay's number one line, then I can give more offensive responsibility to Matthews. But Michelle, once again, looks at it through a coach's eyes. That was his opinion, and I found it very interesting. And he said to me, and he added on, and he said, you know, last night was on Keefe, and before that it was on Dubas. And I said, so why on Dubas? He said, because when Dubas went out and signed John Tavares and gave him more money, then Austin Matthews, and gave him the C right away before he played a single game with the Toronto Maple Leafs, he says Matthews felt disrespected. Yep. And he said to me, he says, I'm telling you, this guy's not going to be in Toronto very long. Yep. It was a very interesting opinion. And when you started, when I asked you about Matthews, you said to me something along the same lines. And ever since Tavares arrived, Matthews is not quite the same. Nope. And I don't know a lot of coaches, especially game one, you're at home in the playoffs, who doesn't want to start with his first line, or at least your best players out there, no matter who they're going to send. Even, even if Tampa is sending their fourth line, You can put your first line out there. Even yeah. if they're sending their first line, that's the first shift of the first period of the first round of the playoffs. You want to send a statement right there that, okay, you want to go all in with your first line. You show us your card. Let's let's go fire against fire. And and I have to agree with you and, and with Michelle, uh, but I still truly believe that Matthew has, has to be better no matter if he has too much heat on him. He doesn't play like he's playing the same way as he played in the season, and that's that's not good enough in, in, for the playoffs. But obviously, when players start thinking too much 
And I will not say he's second-guessing his coach, but there are some decisions once in a while that he probably doubt about him. Um, so, yeah, and obviously, like Dubas saying, uh, all the former uh, Greyhounds players, it's maybe not a good thing. Uh, obviously, Taras didn't play there, but it, it, that must have been hard on the – and not only on Matthews, but the whole team. Like, don't get me wrong. Tavares is an amazing player. He's one of the best two-way players in the league, but he didn't play a single game with the Toronto Maple Leaf. They had an amazing draft with Marner, um, Nylander, Matthews, and now you're picking up of the uh, UFA uh, captain from the New York Islanders. Didn't play a single game. You give him big money, and you give him the C, and he didn't play a single minute for your team. So obviously it's a clap in the face for for a lot of players, even if they're happy because they have a better team. It's just like, okay, we're trying to build something here. We we create uh, chemistry. We have some great leadership group that young players are, are growing up all together, and now you just you just step up and add a new daddy that this guy, this daddy is going to take over everything you did is it's okay. But now you have to rely on, on that guy. So obviously Matthews is not happy. And man, obviously if they're losing this year, like Keith's going to be out, Dubas going to be out. Probably Matthews will ask out depending on who's going to be the new, the new head mm-hmm. coach. But, but you yeah. know what? One thing I liked it about Keith last night, he then lashed out. Like, because usually he will be yelling at the referee, yelling on the bench. It will be, like, almost crazy. But yesterday he was controlling a little bit more his emotion. So He kept his composure. Yeah, that's one thing that he doesn't really do well throughout his initial NHL career. I, th- I uh, think John Cooper's in his head, though. And unless he beats John Cooper, I'm going to stick with that. And you know what? I thought it would be the year for the Leafs. I'm not going to give up on them just yet, but that's a terrible way to start that series. I mean, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for them. Their goalie got shelled for six. The other guy came in. He gave up one. Bunting with a bad hit. He's now suspended for three games. They took some really, really bad penalties. They got killed by Tampa Bay's power play. They got killed by Tampa Bay early. They got killed by Tampa Bay late. They were only in the game for about, what was it, a 10-minute flash or whatever it was. That's a terrible start. And, uh, you know, they were called not ready. a buddy of mine in Toronto today. I uh, was very, very close to the Leafs. And he said to me, he says, you know, like, they're getting destroyed in the city because they had 12 months to prepare for this one game. Like, they had 12 months to prepare for this. 12 months. You know? And and, and uh, I'll go further than that. 12 months to prepare for that first game in the playoffs that you still don't know who's going to play. But for what, like, the, the last three weeks, maybe four weeks, yeah. they already knew that they're going to play Tampa Bay. So you have like basically three to four weeks to prepare your team against them and you show up like that. But again, it, the way they played last night is they have no compete. They were losing easy battles. They didn't like they, they didn't try the second chance. They didn't compete. They, they had no willingness from the start they were soft. They were like, I was watching them and I was like, like mm-hmm. on Twitter, I, that was the first time ever I did that. Like just saying who's going to win and, and yeah. how many games. Yeah. So obviously if I was paying money, I will never bet on the Toronto Maple Leaf. I will probably bet on, on, on Tampa, but I put Toronto, I think it was in six because I said, there's no way they're going to lose again. Like with the theme, with the preparation from, from, the whole season, 12 months before, last year, the year before, they probably learned something. But again, like Bergy said, they didn't start with their best players. They didn't show up. And it's it just a wheel that it's going on and on and on. And yeah. obviously, Cooper is a hell of a coach. He yes. can get the better out of the players. Like We, we talk about it, I think, in, a, in your podcast, when when he set down his, his best players. But when he did that, that was for that first game. And look how they 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 step up last night. Those yeah, that guys. was that was that could be considered a turning point in the season. And by the way, yeah, 
Uh, I saw. I have a lot of time for Michel Bergeron, and folks, uh, if one or two of you don't, I'll remind you that he was a head coach in the National Hockey League for 10 years, and uh, I wasn't, and uh, Mitch wasn't, not yet anyway, and none of you watching, uh, I would think it's safe to say were either. Uh, a great four-year career as a head coach in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Uh, in his third season out of four seasons, he won the uh, he won the championship with Les Draveurs de Trois-Rivières. And then in the 10 years that he coached in the National Hockey League with the Quebec Nordiques and two seasons for the New York Rangers, only two years he didn't make the playoffs. His first season with the Rangers, and they played for 5-13 that year, and his last season coaching the Quebec Nordiques. So only two years out of 10, you don't make the playoffs. Uh, he had a, a pretty good coaching career for himself. Okay. Yeah. Um, the bunting hit on Chernak. I thought he was going to get suspended. I thought it was a dirty play. I thought it was a dirty hit. I thought it was really stupid on his part. Um, I, I'm never going to complain about players getting what I think should be maybe like, or like maybe like too many games because. You know, it'll only make players think twice about doing something stupid going forward. But I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't expect him to get three games. I thought he was going to get one, maybe two. I'm surprised he got three. Um, When I saw that, I was like, there's no way. Like, even yesterday, they were talking about, because it's a playoffs, they're going to split in half. So it's going to be probably one game. And it's funny because today on social media, when I saw that, I said, oh, so it's three games. So it's basically the remaining of the playoff for him. That was just a joke. But uh, that was dirty. That was not cool. He didn't have, didn't have the puck. That was stupid. Uh, three is in season. It's going to be fine. Probably I will ask for more in the playoff because you don't know. But again, if they can maintain that with every single head contact in the playoffs, I'm fine. If they cannot, I'm not fine with it. But you know what? On the flip side, okay, he's having three games and he's going to go back home uh, thinking about how stupid it was. But on the flip side, Cernak, he's not coming back. So that's kind of good for Toronto. And we're not sure about Henman that it will be a game time decision tomorrow. So that's, you know, I don't like the hit and don't get me wrong. I'm not pro for that, but on the flip side, the Tampa might start missing some key players. And if you're missing Henman, you're missing Cernak, uh, you have better chances to go through or at least to reach Vasilevsky and having more chances to, to have great ace chances and scoring goal, but that was that was dumb. That was man. Power play that. goal for Leon Dreisaitl. The assist going to Connor McDavid with his first point of the series and uh, uh, and Bouchard. So it's now two nothing. The Edmonton Oilers are up on the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, okay, um, best power play in the league. That's crazy. They're gonna uh, keep it rolling in the playoff. For well, sure. I think I think I'm gonna get the Tampa's power play in a second because I think that one's absolutely lethal too. But since we're talking about bad hits, Dumba on Pavelski. Most people seem to think it's a hockey play. Um, most people seem to think, yeah, maybe there's you know, maybe it arrived a fraction of a second late, but you know what? Uh, it's it's not in slow motion. It's in real time, and these things can happen. Most people think that. There are a lot of people. There are others who think that, no, no, he, he, left, his, he left the ice. He was targeting the head. This is a dirty hit. Where do you stand? To be honest with you, Tony, I don't know where I stand because, I mean, it's part of the game. Didn't have the puck. Most of us, even me, we we saw the replay probably a million times in slow-mo. So we all remember the slow motion that it was really, 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 really late. But again, it was slow-mo. So obviously everything is slower. Uh, Dumba was, I think, doing what he was doing at the start of his career in the NHL and why he was drafted so high. 
uh, from the junior because it was a hard hitting defensive guy. He hits like uh, a truck, that guy. He hits like a truck. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And he didn't hit. He didn't touch the head. So at least, at least that was like injuries wise. That was like a legal if. Um, between me and my friends, I, we, we were all say it's part of the game and we thought that was legal. But if you're telling me that uh, he's going to have one game, I'll, I'll, I'll still be fine with because there is a fine line between when you can hit, when you cannot hit, when he has the puck, when he doesn't have the puck or release the puck. Uh, you just wanted to finish his hits that we don't see it more often. We, we don't see it often anymore in the NHL. Probably four or five years ago, like it was part of your game plan, finishing yeah. your hits, finishing. Now, not not often, but I, for me, I think I think that was the right call on the ice. But like I said, if they were calling it five minutes in one game, I will probably say, okay, I'm fine with. But again, I'll go back with one thing. Now Pavelski is on the concussion protocol. So he will, he will be out for at least the next seven days. Yeah. So so that's that's good for the wild. When a player is hit and the damage is the damage that was done to Pavelski, they're knocked out, they see stars. Usually, usually, and not always. But usually those hits are actually dirty hits because a clean hit doesn't quite do that kind of damage. Usually they're dirty hits. But, you know, this this is a, a rule that doesn't always apply, of course. Doesn't always apply. But it was it was like the way Pavelski was coming and the way Dumbo was coming, like the collision was no matter who both players were, the, the destruction was there. Like they were just, man, that was tough to see. Tampa Bay's power play. You talked about Edmonton's power play before. Uh, Tampa Bay's power play is a big reason why they've made it to three Stanley Cup finals in the last three years because their power play comes up really, really big in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, they have the weapons, obviously. I mean, if you don't have the players, I mean, uh, you give me five good players and I'll show you a good power play. I mean, that's usually the way it works. But uh, they have – give me your thoughts and break down their power play and then I'll tell you what, well, well, I can tell you what I see, actually. I see, first of all, a lot of great elements. I see Sergachev and I see uh, Edmund at the blue line. I see uh, Braden Point at center. You got Kucherov, who's a left-handed shot by the right wall. You got uh, Stamkos, who's a right-handed shot that usually lines up on the left-hand side. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's Hedman or Sergachev, Sergachev can find Kucherov on the right. Hedman can find Kucherov with a cross-ice pass on the right. Sergachev can find Stamkos. Um, Hedman can find Stamkos. Hedman can shoot from the blue line. Sergachev can shoot from the blue line. And they also have this play where it goes from the defenseman. It usually goes from Sergachev to Kucherov, who fakes a shot. And Braden Point puts himself uh, in the slot, and it's tic-tac-toe, but it's a really bang-bang play yeah. from Kucherov to Braden Point. They have that. They have guys that uh, that pick up the garbage and score big goals, like, uh, for example, Anthony Sorelli parks himself in front of the net or sometimes parks himself in that slot area as well. Uh, Corey Perry parks himself in front of the net and picks up the garbage quite a bit. Uh, Hagel can do the same. They they got uh, they got a serious power play. And the one thing I noticed from their power play, more than most power plays in the National Hockey League, it's not only the puck doing the moving, but there's a lot of player movement. And so Stamkos can find himself on the left-hand side, but then all of a sudden he ends up moving around and you end up finding him either at the blue line or, you know, you know somewhere else on the ice. There's a lot of movement. There's there's a lot of options. Their willingness is beyond and above the PK usually because on the flip side, when you're on the PK, m- most of the time in your game plan is going to be uh, outworking the power play. But when you play against Tampa Bay, it's good luck outworking them. They're mm-hmm. so smart. They're so fast. They're so they're greedy. 
They want to be first. They're hungry for more. Good luck trying to outwork them. Like, let's take yesterday's game. They Tampa had pro- roughly 20-25% um, on the face-offs on the power play. That's not good. But out of 75% of the face-off they lost, they were first on the on the on the puck. So Toronto was not able to clear the puck, or they were not able to retrieve the puck. That just shows how good they are. From there, if they're breaking out from their D zone, they are having the traditional like three-two center. So they're dropping the puck behind. You have two players coming up with a lot of speed. So it's one thing. Everyone knows that. So that's fine. But what they introduced not introduced, they did it more a couple of times this year and in, in, in the past years, is those two players are cr- are crossing, are coming crisscross in the middle so they can make another drop between the offensive blue line and the red line. So it's creating a lot of confusion because you don't know if he's going to drop it or if he's going to keep it. And from there, if they're keeping it, they have the option to entry with possession or kicking off off the wall they're going to get one step inside and now they are in the offensive zone now they can make a play they can hard dream it they can spot the puck plays the puck in the corner again tempo is going to be first so that's starting there it's hard to defend now like everything you said about their power play you're right on uh sergachev headman on top they can they have laser like they don't do the hard clapper they're just quick wrister hitting the net, hitting the net, hitting the net, or hitting a blade for a deflection. On on the left side, you have Stemkos, that is one-timer, is going to score. If, if you're giving that big as a whole, he's going to score there. Kucherov, that guy is amazing on the power play. He's amazing. He, he, he's a magician. Like, everything that he can do, and he can – he's probably one of the only guy that can create deception – before receiving the puck so you said like let's uh yesterday he scored at what three seconds left in the first period mm-hmm. um but the way he plays himself you know he's going to take that one timer but he can rotate his hips to fake the pass or that he's going to fake the clapper and passing and still rotating his hips again to just make that hard one to top shelf short side uh is deception passing through the middle to point back posts. Uh, and, and again, he's just so patient. He doesn't skate around for nothing, doesn't move around for nothing. He's just waiting, waiting, waiting. And everyone else, everybody else going to now start moving, start shifting, creating options for him. So, And he's so smart. His IQ is above the chart. So that's why they can um, – their, their power play is so good. Uh, their clutch, like two goals yesterday on the power play was like one, the first power play goal was with three seconds left in the first and their fourth power play goal was with 0.5 or one seconds left. So they know how to score, but they know when to score and it's a dagger every single time. Like you don't want like the last two minutes, some coaches will say your last five, you don't want to give up a goal. Like, you don't want to give up any kind of momentum, yeah. even if the momentum will reset kind of between periods. You don't want to give up anything in your last five or two minutes. Toronto gave up two power play goals with less than three seconds. Like, there's no way you're not pissed off when you're going yeah. back in, in the locker room. But again, Tampa knows how to do it. And like, five on four last night, they had 21 or 25 shots attempt. That's a lot because they know they have a shooting mentality with everyone moving around. And as soon as they know Kucherov will have it, they can see if he's having that shooting lane. If he's having that shooting or passing lane through the middle, everyone will funnel at the net. Everyone will collapse and they will they will go there greedy, dirty, garbage goal. And that's how they score like that Perry goal yesterday, uh, that point when he came off the wall beating everyone. Um, so that's why they're so good. They are so much poise, so much options. Like obviously, their first power play unit is uh-huh. is great, but it's just they're so clutch. They know how to do it, and they 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 got to murder Toronto because of that. 
You know, you 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 brought up uh, Nikita Kucherov, and you talked about what a great player he was on the power play. You know who Kucherov is? He's what Alexei Kovalev should have been. Alexei Kovalev wow. had the talent of Nikita Kucherov, and you speak to some who played with him, they'll tell you that Alexei Kovalev probably had more talent than Nikita Kucherov. I mean, a lot of people say that Alexei Kovalev had, you know, was the best practice player in the history of the National Hockey League, had the best hands in practice in the history of the National Hockey League, you know, had so many skills and had a gift. But in the end, Kovalev was that player who was content with getting 0.8 points per game in a season, maybe even less than that. He had his career high was like a 95-point season, and then he had seasons in... You know, his best season with the Canadians was 84 points. Yeah, with and pride. He had, uh, and then he had uh, an 80-point season. He had a couple, he had two, um, he had, uh, what was it, one, one season in the 90s, one season with the Canadians at 84, uh, one season in the 70s, and then in the 60s and in the 50s and in the 40s, Nikita Kucherov, I think Nikita Kucherov's had like four seasons over 100 points or something like that. Nikita Kucherov averages more than a point per game in the in the season, and he averages more than a point per game in the playoffs. That's what Alexei Kovalev should have been, but he chose to just pace himself and not you know not take his game to another level. I mean, it was there to take it, but he just didn't want to. It's too bad. He just yeah, but yeah. Kovalev didn't. By the way, four-one uh, Dallas. They just scored. Uh, Dadunov. He should play for the Montreal. Uh, Kovalev <laughs> didn't have a team with him when he was in in Montreal. That no. doesn't help. No, it's true. And they didn't really. Let's say I have it here. Okay, so they made the playoff the first year, the second year, seven points in six game. 06, 07 didn't make the playoff. 07, 08, 11, and 12. Yeah, and okay, so no, they make the playoffs. He, was, he was with, listen, he was with the Canadians for uh, what, uh, four years, four and a half years, Kovalev yeah, was. And, and you're half. right. I mean, but he had a great team with the Rangers. He won the Stanley Cup with the New York Rangers. He had, he had you know, some pretty good teams with the Pittsburgh Penguins, played with some pretty good players when he was in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he played. He played with. He played, with, uh, he played with uh, with Straka and Lang, Jagger, Mario Lemieux, Mozitumo. Yeah, sixty-six and eighty-two, ninety-five and seventy-nine. Uh, yeah, and seventy-six and sixty-seven with Pittsburgh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in ending, in ending, we'll save the best for last. Oh. Um, I've given it to Pierre Luc Dubois when I had to. Everyone remembers that shift, which was one of the like the worst shifts in the history of the National Hockey League with the Columbus Blue Jackets when John Tortorella was coaching, oh, yeah. where he went on, stayed about 20 seconds, had zero care level in the world, and then just didn't touch the puck at all, even when it was next to his feet, was didn't even make an effort, got off. He was called out by Tortorella thereafter, benched, and he bounced back the next game, responded really well, but then eventually wanted out of Columbus. He got out of Columbus. Now he's in Winnipeg. There's talk that he wants out of Winnipeg. Uh, his contract will be up at the end of the year. He'll be a restricted free agent. And, of course, Elliot Friedman, you know, who's, uh, you know, connected with the best of them, he says at 95%, Pierre-Luc Dubois will end up being a Montreal Canadian. Pierre-Luc Dubois last night, that's one of the best games, one of the top three games I've seen him play in the National Hockey League. He set up the first goal by Kyle Connor. He scored the second goal on a great wrist shot down the left wing. He had a a, a back pass, a, a backhand pass that was absolutely exceptional. I think he had eight hits in the ho- in the hockey game. One of them was a thunderous hit. I mean, Dubois' intensity last night, if he could be that intense every game, he's a full package if he is. He was a beast last night. He, he was good. The whole team was good. The D squad was good, but he played one of his best game, I think, in a while. Uh, can he beat that player every single night? I don't think so. Uh, can he get better and play more often like that? Yes. But again, playoffs and season, it's it, it's a different animal. It, it's it's not the same. And, and, and if you talk to, I think that was Guy Boucher who said that, 
in one of his TV, whatever it was, uh, because it was asking always 100% for every single player, and they were saying no coach. In season, we're 80. Uh, but it, it, it's probably the same thing with PLD. Uh, last night, it was good. And after last night, I was like, Okay, if he's coming to the Montreal, of course it's going to be good. Of course it's going to be a huge asset. No matter, yes, he's a French guy. I've coached him at the uh, major junior combine, uh, but it could be a Russian, it could be a U.S. guy. That type of guy, you you need those guys in your team. And he, he's a, he's your first line. He's a first center for in a lot of teams. Obviously, he's having. He's having strength. He's having weaknesses. He's not Sid the kid. He's not the same type of players, but he still put up points. He still show up. He's physical. He can skate. He can shoot. He can defend. Uh, but the question is, okay, the, everyone's saying like he's going to be a Montreal Canadian. When? Next year? In two years? Or they, when? They used gonna... to. They used to have Shifley at center. Now they got Shifley at right wing. I don't mind that, to be honest with you. I don't mind that because Shifley can break. another another very big guy, by the way. Uh, and and he's, so good along, he's so good on the board. And you, you need those guys because now with the pressure coming on the D uh, below the goal line, a lot of passes or first passes are just rammed. So you need players that are strong, that are physical, uh, that can play along on along the board. And it it's not everyone. And they probably they probably decided to do it with Nick Ehlers being out with an upper body injury. Yeah. There you lose a winger. So they probably figure, you know what? We'll put Nemesnikov as, you know, the second line centerman. Adam Lowry is the third line centerman. And then your wingers end up being Connor Shifley, Nita Ryder, Wheeler. But who knows if when Ehlers comes back, maybe Mark Shifley ends up centering, uh, going back to the center ice position. Could be. Maybe, or if... But again, if that line keep going up, this keep going on the same way, I will not split them. I will not split them. But the the night that they do not show up, uh, you might want to start mixing up stuff. But maybe so maybe Shifley will will come up on the second line. But so far, I will I will not touch that. And, yeah. and again, PLD with Montreal. Like yeah. we, we've talked about it. That that will be. You, you, awesome. So hold on a second. You saw him a while ago in in the, in the juniors. You said you had a chance to coach him. Where? Uh, that was the uh, uh, we called that the major junior combine. So that was they were what sixteen years old, fifteen years old. I don't yeah. remember. So and that what, was what, what did he show you back then? What did he show you back then? Uh a two-way player with with skills uh but like i didn't to be honest with you and i will never because again there are 15 or 16 yeah uh, i will never expected him to be picked third overall but i remember back in the days a lot of people were like what they picked him up three third third overall yeah but like he was a tall skinny guy he could skate he could defend he could shoot he had skills he had poise uh, but you know, he was kind of a raw player. That okay, he got something, but can he reach? Can he reach his full potential? Can he? Can he be? Can he take the next step? And obviously, at the, at the junior level, he he, he step up and in the NHL, he's an amazing player. And it's funny because I had Sam Girard in that team as well. Yeah, uh, they were they were both running my my power play and first practice i draw some concept and the way i wanted to play and the second practice i just sat down with those guys and was like guys you're all crazy good let's just make sure we score goals and we do not give up goals on a power play that's the only thing i'm asking strategy concept wise and like we won that uh, the gold medal there, but uh, the power play was amazing. But Dubois was back then; he was still a good player with the raw potential, raw talent. And now he's he's good. And all, like anytime you can put your hands on on that type of players, you, you want that, no matter who he is, no matter where he's from. How much would you be willing to give up? Like money wise or players? Players. Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure I'm ready to give up some players. Depending if we if we're sending defensive defense defensemen, okay. 
forwards. So out of all the young defensemen, which one would you most be willing to compromise to give up? Uh, I obviously will have to give to give up on Goulet, a Baron, or a Mayu. Uh, that's a good one. You would trade Caden Gouli for uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois? No, but I mean, like, it has to be one of those three, for sure. It has to be in, in the package. Uh, Goulet... I would never do that again. I don't... I, I will not. Uh, between Baron and, and Mayu, uh, I think I will... Oh, that's a tough one. Don't throw me any, under the bus, but I think I'll, I'll trade Baron and keep Mayu, I think. Yeah, I think um I think um Mayu, Mayu and Guli like will can be like two like they're they're players that just they have an X factor over Baron. I like Baron a lot by the way because I think he really came on he really came on down the stretch like you saw the progression but uh, there's just so much upside with Gouli and uh, and uh, and um, Mayu. Mayu that I, I would not trade either and, of those. And players. he has that greedy game, and like you said, he has that X factor that it's not everybody who, who has it. Obviously, didn't play a single game in the NHL, so time will tell. Uh, but like that's like I will not trade Suzuki for for Dubois. Obviously, Caulfield, I will not trade him. So. From there, you don't have much to give up. What is the um? Well, you know, they. I'll beg to differ. I mean, they have a lot, but you just don't have to give up anything because if eventually he wants to sign with the Montreal Canadiens, well, then all you got to do is just wait the year, yeah. right? No, that just, will just, be just wait the year, thing. and then this way you don't have to give anyone up. Now, if 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 you're going to make a deal, it's because. You you know you've agreed with Winnipeg that you're going to end up giving them something so that they don't lose them for nothing and that you had you get to add them to your team one year before you normally would, but um, you know here's a team that the Canadians have a lot of pieces if they want to give up and no they're not going to trade Nick Suzuki and no they're not going to trade Cole Caulfield and no they're not going to trade Caden Gooley and no they're not going to trade Kirby Doc and no they're not going to trade Uri Slavkowski either at least I wouldn't think so. But um, I mean, you know, you have uh, you have players. You have a lot of depth on defense. You know, you have Josh Anderson who wasn't in a very good mood at the end of the year because he said he had to deal with all those uh, trade rumors and stuff like that. Mind you, they yeah. were. I think it was his general manager that brought up his name and said that there was interest in Josh Anderson. Yeah, that's okay. the GM who was so, talking about it. First. All right. So in ending, uh, you asked me uh, in players or money. I said players. Okay. Now in money, what's Pierre Luc Dubois worth on the marketplace? Uh, I think he's a bit more than Suzuki. A little because bit more I, than Suzuki. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, with Montreal, with probably 31 teams who want it, you can have a lot of money from from any team in the, in the league. Oh, 42 Minnesota just scored. So yeah, I think, so, so I, think I say I say team. I say this. I think Nick Suzuki is a I think Nick Suzuki is more of a pure talent than Pierre Luc Dubois. Dubois is obviously bigger, thicker, stronger. Yeah. I think Nick Suzuki is a better point producer than Pierre Luc Dubois. I think he will be for several years. And he's the captain of the hockey team. I'm not giving Pierre Luc Dubois from the outside more money than Nick Suzuki. I understand Nick Suzuki signed that deal a little while ago when Mark Bergevin was here, but I'm not paying Pierre-Luc Dubois more than Nick Suzuki. No. I, I have to agree with you, but we, we talk about it. Any teams in the league gonna, are willing to give him nine or ten millions. Pierre-Luc Dubois? Oh, yeah. Any team will give him nine or ten million. I, I think worth eight point five and plus for sure. Wow. I think. I the way he's that. playing first centerman can play on the wing. So but I have to agree with you, you cannot give up more than Suzuki, but maybe that's why Caulfield didn't sign up yet, because he wants the same or probably a little bit more, and that's why he didn't sign yet too. So it's a tough one. You know, you bring Pierre-Luc Dubois to Montreal. It's the pressure of being the good she knew again. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, chances are he's not going to play with a Mark Shifley and a Kyle Connor either. Nope. Uh, you know, take oh, Nick no. Suzuki out of this environment, put him in Winnipeg in a low-pressure situation, put him with those players, and Nick Suzuki, you know, I'm sure he finishes with 90 points. Like, uh, uh, yeah. that's what I think anyway. Okay. Yeah. An ending um, was uh, first game of the playoffs for the Laval Rocket. They played host to the Utica Common. Uh, of course, it was the farm club for the New Jersey Devils. And uh, to the Comets, they lost, uh, Laval did, they lost 4 nothing to the Comets. So they were shut out. It's a best of three with games two and game three uh, slated for Utica. So anyway, they got off to a bad start, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Thanks for doing this. We went a little bit longer because, of course, we had technical difficulty early on during the show. Mitch, you stayed the entire time, and for that, I really, really thank you. Thank you very much, my, my man. Pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thank yeah. you. You're a good Take man. Care. All right. He's Mitch Jaguer, assistant coach with the Carabins ice hockey team on the women's side. I'm Marinero. It's a sick podcast. Tell your friends about it. And, of course, you can, um, you can uh, like it, share it with your friends, subscribe to our YouTube channel, message sick, S-I-C-K, 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 if you're loving it. And if you listen to us on Google, Apple, or Spotify, leave us a five-star review. It's our way of feeling the love. Uh, a special shout-out to Charlie over at Optimal Stretch on St. Ambroise in St. Henry. I saw him earlier today to get rid of this uh, this uh, this pain that I have at the top of my right shoulder and, uh, and, and my shoulder blade and my back here and stuff like that. And uh, this guy is uh, this guy's a phenom. This guy is the Connor McDavid of what he does. He is the uh, Connor Bedard of what he does. And I saw him today. Uh, for the first time, and it's not going to be the last time. He's a big fan going back to my radio days. He had reached out to me, and um, I'm really glad that he did because uh, he, I think he's going to be a blessing in my life. All right, so hi to Charlie at Optimal Stretch. Hello to all of you. Thank you for watching and once again. You are my sick army. You are my sick community. For Agnello and Sammy Cavallaro, back at Master Control, I'm Marinero. The Sick Podcast will be back tomorrow night. Joining me. George Larac in the first half of the show and Marc-André Perrault in the second half of the show. They both join me tomorrow night, same time, same place, 10 p.m. I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. <laughs>